Would you pray with me as we begin? Heavenly Father, we are here to share a message, a message of joy. Lord, your word tells us four different ways about the resurrection. And we're here to jump in and to find out more about it. I pray that you will open your word to us and by your Holy Spirit reveal who you are and where we need to be. We ask that you would lead us in this time. Lord, work in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus' disciples have had the worst weekend ever. That's an understatement. Everything that could go wrong went wrong. It's been a frightening time. It's been filled with terrible grief and loss, and they just didn't know what to do with it. First of all, Jesus was arrested praying in the garden. And the disciples scattered as he was taken, dragged off, and put on trial. He was beaten and mocked and driven through the street carrying a beam of his own cross. He was crucified on a hill they called locally Golgotha, the place of the skull, right outside of Jerusalem. Imagine the disciples' confusion and pain. If you've ever suddenly lost somebody in your own life, you know what that's like. Someone you love, and, and you know the kind of pain that they might be in. They hadn't really counted on losing Jesus. I know Jesus had told them over and over. He had warned them again and again, and yet they still were not ready. They still had the expectation that they were going to be a part of this new kingdom of God that Jesus kept preaching about. They expected to see Jesus crowned as king in Jerusalem. They expected to see the Romans driven out. And they expected a huge victory party. And then this. All their expectations were crushed. When Jesus was crucified, most of the disciples were not there. Scripture tells us that they were all gone except for one. And that was John and a group of, of women who had been also disciples of Christ. The rest had scattered. They were in hiding. When Jesus was taken down from the cross, according to Mark, two of the women, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph, followed Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, who claimed Jesus' body. They followed him to the garden where the tomb was, and they watched to see where Jesus was buried. And then they went home to make some preparations. They, they were mixing together and preparing uh, aloes and spices so that they could come and anoint and wrap the body of Jesus, as was the custom of the Jews. At dawn on the third day... <laughs> The women came to the tomb to prepare the body. If you have your Bible with you this morning, I'd invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 28. We're used to turning to that chapter for the Great Commission, aren't we? Well, here there are, there are a lot of things that actually happen in that chapter before we get to Jesus and the Great Commission. Here's what Matthew writes, and I have no clicker here this morning, guys. <laughs> it's, it's not here, so you'll have to change the slides for me. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. 
There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. That's on the next slide, by the way. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples. He has risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you into Galilee. And there you will see him. Now I've told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid and yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. And suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Now you'll notice verse 28, or, 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 or verse 8 says, The women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy. That's at the same time. They had these mixed emotions. Gretchen did this beautiful piece of theater for us this morning and talked about those same two emotions, fear and joy coexisting in the same moment. They were afraid for a number of reasons, but that joy that, that was there, that was part of what they're receiving in the message, it, it's not overruled. We sometimes use the expression mixed emotions when we have things that come together in an unusual way like that. Like having sadness and joy at the same time. Sometimes when we lose someone, you know, we, we, we are glad to see that they've gone home to be with Jesus, but we are sad to see them go at the loss. And it's, it's that mixed emotion those feelings coming all together. And you see them all through this account of Jesus' resurrection in all four of the Gospels. There are two parts to this story this morning, the message and the meeting. And I'd like to take a closer look at that. First of all, let's start with the message. The Gospel of Mark tells us that Salome also went along with the two women. And uh, that was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, they call her. It just says the other Mary in the text. But, but they mean... Uh, Mary, mother of Joseph, and, and also the wife of Cleopas. They come to anoint Jesus' body with spices, and they're, they're moving along. This is, this is a very, they must be, I, I kind of picture them kind of sneaking along a little bit. I mean, this is not a good time to be a disciple in this area. It just isn't. Their fellow Jews had turned on Jesus, and they had rejected him. The Romans had crucified Jesus. So any freedom of movement that they had, I think they'd be very careful about how they moved about. Uh, there would be a good amount of fear as they walked along this path. And, uh, you know, maybe this is why they came so early in the morning. It says they came at dawn. You know, maybe they came at dawn because nobody else would be around. And, it, and Mark tells us that as they were walking along, they were talking and they said, well, who's going to roll away the stone? I'm missing... This is, this is a rolling stone. Now, a rolling stone is a very big piece of stone. And it's very difficult to move. And here they were. 
Who's going to rule it? Who's going to get it out of the way? And Matthew says that as they arrived at the garden, there was a violent earthquake. It says, a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were afraid of him and they shook and became like dead men. Okay, so this isn't your average Sunday morning, right? I don't know if you have ever experienced an earthquake. Uh, anybody here experienced an earthquake? You know what that feels like? You know, it's kind of a strange feeling. We were out in California a couple of times, and there were minor earthquakes while we were there, and I slept through both of them. <laughs> Missed them entirely. I was very disappointed. <laughs> but then, and, and you probably will remember this day, August 11th, 2011, at 1.51 in the afternoon, we got an earthquake that radiated from south of Washington, D.C., and all the way up into Pennsylvania, and things shook like we have never been shook before. And I remember sitting at my desk when that happened. It was a very strange feeling. You know, it was not just the vibration part of it, but there was this, it was like the ground became plastic. It just, it rolled. And that was a really strange and weird thing. You know, like riding a roller coaster at the desk. And down in Washington, D.C., the damage was so severe because the earthquake was a 5.8 magnitude that, that damaged the Washington Monument. And they had to close that down for three years. And that wasn't even a really big one. So imagine it's, the sun's just starting to come up and these ladies are walking along the path towards a tomb. They would be nervous and afraid anyway, you know. Um, Jewish law had a lot of things to say about touching the dead, being with the dead, you know, and so there were a lot of these kinds of things would probably be on their mind, and, and as they're approaching the tomb, this earthquake took on, and it shook and vibrated, and there would be that rolling sensation in the ground, and, and they look up, and here's an angel. How do they know it's an angel? They've never seen an angel before, but he's got these glowing white clothes that says, he flashes like lightning. That might be a clue right there. <laughs> he probably glows. And they weren't ready for this. You know, it doesn't say, oh, they found the tomb open. An angel must have done it. They don't, they don't say it like that. You know, this is not some excuse or some way to write off what happened. They see it happen. They see the angel roll back the stone and they sit, or the angel sits, on the top of the stone. He says to them, don't be afraid. Now, that's kind of like telling somebody to calm down, isn't it? <laughs> just calm down. Oh, that really works. <laughs> you know, we just had an earthquake. An angel arrives. He's flashing all over the place. They roll back the stone. Don't be afraid. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that's going to work. But the angel looked... Amazing. Lightning. His clothes were brilliant white. And that got their attention. And he delivers a message to them. Now, it's amazing to me as I think about this that they even heard a word of it. You know? I mean, what happened? The guards, these toughened soldiers, they, they just fainted dead away. They were so frightened, it says. They just passed out. 
So it's amazing they didn't end up out cold like the soldiers. But the scripture says, the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay, and then go quickly and tell the disciples. He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him. Now I've told you. Now Luke 24 tells us that the women were so terrified that they bowed their faces to the ground. The angel says to them in Luke's account, why do you look for the living among the dead? This is no more ordinary message. It's an amazing message given in very frightening circumstances. You and I, I think, would be scared senseless. But these women, disciples of Jesus, as scared as they were, they received this message, and obviously they believed the message. And the message was pretty simple. And in case we missed it in the small print, let's see it up here on the screen in big print. He is not here. He has risen. And they even let them look inside to see that Jesus' body was missing, that it was gone. They believed the message, and they did as they were told to do. Now, Matthew 28, 8 says, So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid and yet filled with joy, and ran to tell the disciples. And there's those two emotions together, fear and joy. They ran to tell the twelve, He is not here. He is risen. And that's the message of Easter right there, isn't it? And that's it. That's what we're celebrating this morning. He is risen. And you know, everything we believe about Jesus hangs on that message. The Apostle Paul says, hey, if that part ain't real, none of it's real. He tells the Corinthian church, if Christ is not raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Everything hangs on that message. He's not here. He is risen. The angel is the first proof of that message. There is the message. He is not here. He has risen. Well, then comes the meeting. As soon as they turned around and they start going out to deliver that message, to take it to the 12, here's what happened. It says, suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him and clasped his feet and worshipped him, so they must have bowed down. And each gospel account, as you read them through, they tell us different details about what happened on that morning, and, and some tell what others don't, and you try to bring them together and try to figure out all the pieces. But, you know, they do give you a much fuller picture. John's gospel tells us that Mary Magdalene had at first thought that somebody had taken Jesus' body, that somebody had stolen the body. She's even saying, where have, where have they taken him? Where's the body? And then when she first saw Jesus, she didn't recognize him immediately. She said, thought he was the gardener, it says. But then Jesus revealed himself. And all of the accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are quite clear about this one thing. Jesus is alive. He has risen from the dead. Now, we're not talking the walking dead here. You know, nothing weird like that. And we're not talking a ghost. 
You remember when the disciples were out on the sea and the storm came up and Jesus came out walking to them and they said, it's a ghost. <laughs> Sailors were a very superstitious bunch. I mean, you have to know that about them. And, and, uh, but, but this is not a ghost. This is not a spirit. In that situation where Jesus walked on the water, he was Jesus doing something that only Jesus could do. And here in this story, in the garden of the tomb, he is doing something that only he could do. He was living when he should have been dead. Nobody survives crucifixion. That's why they liked it so much. It worked. And here's Jesus alive. He's the only person who ever survived it. This is not a superstitious thing. This is not a vision of Jesus or a ghost or a spirit. In this moment, when the women touch his feet, when they embrace his feet in worship, they can feel him. They can touch him. This is Jesus in the flesh. Notice that Jesus tells them the same thing the angel told them. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Their fear was obvious, but they had nothing to fear. This is the same Jesus that they had spent time with. This is the same Jesus who had loved them, who had raised them up and brought them, some of them from some pretty terrible places. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. He'd been taken from them, but now he was being given back to them through the resurrection. Resurrection is a very unique kind of word. You know, there's been all kinds of people, all kinds of so-called scholars down through the years who have tried to explain away the death and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, I was reading or listening to N.T. Wright this morning, and he was talking about this, and he said, he said you know, that word resurrection is a very unique word, and, and the word raised, which is connected with it. He said that, it's a special word. It would not have been used under any other conditions only if a man was made alive again. It was deeply embedded in Jewish culture because they were awaiting the bodily resurrection that would happen in the future after death. The word for fear that's used here, it can be translated a couple of different ways. And it can be translated to say fear or being afraid or being terrified the way we normally use the word fear. Or it could be translated as reverence or awe. Now I think the first definition obviously applies to the ladies when they come to the tomb and they see the angel and they see the rolling of the stone and experience the earthquake. I think that's genuine fear. But I think when they encounter Jesus, their fear turns to reverence. What we sometimes call the fear of the Lord. And what did Jesus do? Jesus sent them with the same message they received back there at the tomb. I'm not in the tomb. I'm not dead, wrapped in a shroud. I'm not here. Go and tell my brothers about it. Go to Galilee and there they'll see me. He's raised from the dead. He's alive. So the women become the messengers. And off they go with the message. There's so much more to this story that we could spend many, many hours, but I want to focus on just what we've learned so far. 
What do we get from these gospel accounts of Jesus' resurrection? Well, I think the two points we made earlier also apply here and now to us. The focus on the message and the focus on the meeting. The message is part of what the Bible calls the gospel, uh, good news. Now, what is the good news? What is it? You know, I mean, we, we can try and summarize it in a tiny little sentence, but it's actually pretty broad. It has some very big implications. I mean, the message of the good news starts with bad news, doesn't it? God created us to live in harmony with him. And his plan for the world was to have Adam and Eve and their descendants live in close fellowship with him and to care for his creation. But through Adam, that was spoiled when our first parents disobeyed God and gave into temptation. It says they were tempted by Satan, a fallen angel who disobeyed God. And through them, sin entered the world. And we have that magnetic attraction, attraction to sin that uh, we call the sin nature that makes it so difficult to live right for God. On our own, in fact, it's impossible to live the way that God created us to live. It is impossible not to sin. Now, if you think about it in your own life, you know this is true, if you're being honest. You try to do the right thing, like Paul says, but I always end up doing the wrong thing. And God is grieved. And we hurt people along the way. And we get hurt along the way. That's the bad news part. But the good news part is that we can be forgiven of our sin. We can be restored to a relationship with God. And it's because of Easter. On Good Friday, when Jesus died on the cross, he died for your sin and my sin. That cross was the price of our sin. We sang about the blood of Jesus. That's the price of our sin. And Jesus paid it in full. On Easter Sunday, we talk about Easter Sunday. Jesus, on the day after the Sabbath, was raised from the dead. He was raised as the first. He was the full proof that we can be raised to eternal life. And more good news comes when we realize that through believing in Jesus that he died for our sins and was raised on the third day by turning from our sin and turning to follow Jesus, we can be saved from our sin and be forgiven and we can live forever. This world feels so fallen sometimes. Sometimes when I read the news or listen to it, it just feels evil sometimes. But God says it won't always be like this. It's not going to stay like this. One day Jesus is going to return and he will recreate the earth and the heavens above and we will live with him. The good news is that God wants you to have peace in this life as well as in the next and he wants you to have eternal life. You can have lasting peace right here and now. And that's the message of Easter. That's the message. Here's the meeting part. When you receive Jesus into your life, you're meeting Jesus. You're entering into a relationship with the living Son of God. And he will meet you right where you are at. No matter where you've been, 
No matter what you've done, no matter what trouble you're facing today, God knows where you're at, and he knows who you are. And he loves you anyway. He invites you to meet him. This is the meeting part. In a moment, we're going to pray together. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray with me. In fact, I'm going to put a simple prayer up here on the screen next. And, and um, I'm going to invite you to pray along with me. It's, it's not everything that there is to being a follower of Jesus. It is only a start. It's a beginning. But it's a start that can change you. It changes lives. It changed mine 41 years ago this week. Now, you've heard me talk about my years free from drug use. I don't count from that 41. I count from the year after when it's been a full year. That's when I start counting. After I completed my first year. But he has the power to change your life. I know he's changed mine. Today, Easter Sunday, I think is the best day of all to follow Jesus. It's also a great day to renew your faith in Christ. You may have already received Jesus, but renewing that covenant again and again allows you just to, just to feel that you are connected even more. So I encourage you to pray along either way. Can we have that put up on the screen? Let's pray together. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner and there is nothing I can do to save myself. I believe you died for my sins and I believe that you were raised to life on the third day. I'm sorry for my sins and I want to turn from them. I trust Jesus alone as my Savior. I confess him now as my Lord. From this moment on, Lord, I want to serve and follow you. Please lead my life. Thank you for saving me. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this is just a little prayer. You can say it and have it mean absolutely nothing. It could be just words, but it's not just saying words. It's in John 14, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And then he says, no one, emphatically, no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way. He's the only way to heaven and to eternal life. He is the real deal. If you want to talk further about this, just talk to me after the service, and, and we'll make it happen. We'll find a time to get together. I'd love for you to know more. I'm going to invite the band to come and to lead us in worship as we close. It's been a beautiful week, and I thank every one of you who's had a part in that and uh, in making it wonderful. By the way, if you're new with us this morning, there are little blue cards in the seats ahead of you called Connect Cards, and you can just fill one of those out, leave it in the offering plate, and we can get to know you just a little bit better. You guys ready?